Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Intentional Living series, which talks about approaching every day with purpose. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages. Amen. Matthew chapter number two this morning, and I'm appreciative of the music today and, and just the call to worship. And it's interesting, just goes right along with our message uh, this morning out of Matthew 2, our series, Intentional Living. And uh, we've been going through this series designed to help us take the principles of the Word of God and turn it, translate that into everyday living and uh, action in our lives. But uh, we, we understand that God has a purpose for us to live out for Him, and we know the principles, but often uh, we fail to do that because we don't make up our mind to live those principles out. It's one thing to know a principle, it's another thing to apply it. For instance, one thing we've covered uh, a few weeks ago is, I think everybody in here would know and, and say, oh, I know God wants me to do that, but we all know that God wants us to be be an encouragement to other people. We know that to be true. We know that's a principle taught in scripture. Uh, but this week, how many opportunities maybe did we miss to be an encouragement because we didn't set our minds to it at the beginning of the week, didn't think, God, I want to be an encouragement this week. And we learned from Ananias in Acts chapter number nine that if we are going to uh, um, be an encouragement to others and invest our lives into others, it starts first thing in the morning. By understanding, God, I'm going to let you encourage me so that I can go and be an encouragement to somebody else. And then we have to kind of put it into our mindset. God, help me to be an encouragement to somebody today. Lately, we've been going through what's called the Christmas story, going through the birth of Christ and, and seeing from different characters something intentional about them. Uh, the first week, we looked at Mary. and Well, we first looked at Zacharias and, uh, there in Luke chapter number one and learned some things from Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. But then we looked at Mary in Luke chapter number two, and we looked at how Mary was intentionally surrendered. Remember, it was Mary that she said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Uh, Mary just simply saying, God, I have my plans, because she did. She had her plans, had that engagement. She knew maybe uh, what her life was going to look like, and God came and said, I have some Something different. And so Mary was presented with a decision. Do I surrender to him and allow him to lead me or do I stick with my own thing? And uh, I'm so thankful. Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, I'm surrendered to you. Teaching us that each and every day we should have a mindset of just being surrendered and uh, uh, giving our day to the Lord. And then last week, if you'll remember, uh, last week we looked, what did we look at last week? My mind just went, my mind just went blank. Oh, the shepherds. Yeah, thank you. Man, someone paid attention last week. <laughs> last week, we looked at the shepherds, and we saw how, the, how the, uh, uh, the angels came to the shepherds, and those shepherds, they were just lowly people, and yet the angels came to them, and they turned, and they went, and they went and saw Jesus, but then after it, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 17 tells us that they went away telling everybody what they had seen and what they had heard. They took their experience with Jesus and they shared it with other people around them. And, you know, that's something that God desires for your life is that you and I would take our experience with Jesus and that we would go and share it with others. But you know what? Those conversations, they often, they can, but they often don't just happen. I, I, I haven't met too many people that have had somebody walk up to them and say, you're a Christian, aren't you? Could you tell me how? I've had too many people that's happened to but I have had a lot of people that have said, boy, I really felt like God wanted me to talk to a coworker. I prayed about it 
And I went to work with a plan and I talked to them about the Lord. Pastor, I got to lead someone to Christ this week because at the beginning of the week, I purposed, I was intentional about sharing him. This morning, we're gonna come to Matthew chapter number two. And uh, we, we come here and we're gonna come to a, a, a story that is often linked up with the Christmas story. I don't necessarily believe it happened at the same time and I'll show you why in just a minute. But we're gonna come, we're gonna learn some things from Matthew chapter two about the wise men and the wise men coming to seek the Lord and coming to worship him. But before we get into our passage, uh, last week, if you remember, I, I told you the story about Lena uh, being excited for you to open up her Christmas gift. And I talked about us being excited to give to other people. But ha- I wanna mention this morning, have you ever noticed the different responses in people when they receive something? Whether it's a gift or news, uh, people respond differently to good news. People respond differently to a gift. I'm thinking right now about couples that find out they're expecting, okay? A lot of times, and and maybe this was your story, maybe it wasn't, but a lot of times a couple will find out they're expecting and and the wife, she she tears up. I can't believe it. I'm going to be a mom. And she's overjoyed and all these emotions come out and she tells her husband, honey, I'm expecting. And some men, they're like, cool. <laughs> Other guys are like, you know how much it's going to cost us? <laughs> right? Just those different responses. Um, I'm thinking of a story a few years ago. Uh, uh, this doesn't have to do with expecting, but a few years ago, we took our three kids to Disney World, and we had saved up, and we got this uh, family vacation for the kids. This, I think, is four years ago or five years ago, even. And uh, we we got the kids. We were my parents were still living over on the west side, and so we went over. We stayed the night with them, and the next morning, uh, we got up, and of course, Hannah and I had already packed and everything. We were going to catch a flight out of Seattle, and we were telling the kids. We got all the kids lined up, and all three of them were saying, "All right." I said, we have two stops that we're going to make today before we go home. And they're like, okay. I said, the first stop, we're going to stop and see the doctor. We're going to go to a doctor's appointment. Okay. I said, the second stop, we're going to go to Orlando, Florida. And all three of them, they were like, okay. And Micah goes, is that near our home? He's just itty bitty. Is that near our home? I said, no, it's in the state of Florida. Micah said, is that in Washington? I said, no, it's in the state of Florida. I said, do you know it's in Orlando? No, it's in Orlando, all three of them said. I said, Disney World. And right when I said that, Micah, he was holding a Spider-Man pillow. I have the video. It's really cool. He was holding a little Spider-Man pillow. He just held it up to his face and screamed in the pillow. He was like, ah, you know. And uh, Dennis, he was just like, oh, yes. Lena, she's the do-everything-big-one, she grabs Dennis's arm, and she starts jumping up and down. So Dennis is going, uh, 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 and he's trying to pull away, and she's like, yeah! And she fell over. I'm just kidding. She's just jumping up and down. She's shaking his arm, and she's going crazy. And uh, the falling over, was anybody videoing? You missed an opportunity, babe. (laughs) Listen, she was just, she was excited. How many of you have seen me trip before? 
The worst is, that's my second time today. You missed the first one. We were praying, and I tripped, and only my wife saw it. Did you see it too? No one was videoing that either. This is why we don't live stream our services. Okay, back to the message. Uh, everybody responds differently. And uh, Lena, that day, she's just, Mom, chill. I mean, you've seen me trip before. I've, I've fallen flat on my face before, and you've seen it. Man, uh, she just got so excited that day. You know what? Everybody responds differently to news. How about this one? How about dads responding to the question, can I marry your daughter? Okay, I remember... <laughs> That coming from a 13-year-old. Uh, I remember asking Hannah's dad to marry Hannah, and his response to me was, what took you so long? You know, we had been together for two months. His response was, what took you so long? You told her you, told her you loved her two months ago. I guess I'll be getting to know you. Talk to you later. Click. My experience with my father-in-law response is very different from Micah's experience. Micah's experience went something along the lines of, I'd like to, Mr. Boyer, I'd like to ask your daughter, or I'd like to uh, ask you for permission to marry your daughter. And if I get the story correct, I think it was, oh, okay, let's talk about that in a few months. <laughs> something like that, wasn't it? Like, let me, let me pray about this. And then as Rebecca's father was praying about it, he would call Micah and say, I'm going to send you a book. And if you want to marry my daughter, you're going to give me a book report on the book I get send you. How many book reports did you have to do? 10 to 12 books he had to read and write a book report to send to his future father-in-law. I think that was before he said yes, wasn't it? Before he even said yes. I, he didn't even know if he's going to marry her. Okay, I'm so thankful for my father-in-law right now. I'd be like, you want me to what? Let's just elope. Let's just go alone. You know what? Everybody responds differently to something. So what I want to draw our attention to this morning is the greatest news that's ever been given. We know what it is, the birth of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. But the simple fact is that every one of us have to choose how we respond to that good news. It's not the news of just a baby. It's the news of a savior. It's not the news of a trip. It's the news of the journey of a lifetime of seeking after him and following him and his relationship given. It's not the news of a marriage. It's the news of a relationship with God the Father. So I wanna ask you this morning, how do you respond? We're gonna come to, in Matthew chapter two, we're gonna see three different responses. I believe that these three responses each and every one of us can have or choose to have each and every day. I hope we would choose the third response, which is to intentionally worship him. We're gonna look at this morning about being intentional living, intentionally worshiping the Lord. So stand with me, if you will. Matthew chapter number two. Matthew chapter two is where we're gonna start this morning. Let's read our verse and then let's get into the passage today or get into uh, the, the message today. Matthew chapter two, beginning in verse number one, the word of God reads this way. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, 
he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, uh, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. We'll read down to verse 18 later, but we'll stop right there for now. I want you to notice that when we come to these passage, this passage, the first 12 verses, we find a response from three different people. We find a response from Herod. We find a response from the priests and the scribes. And then we find a response from the wise men. We're going to kind of dig into this and figure out, all right, how should I respond how should I respond to the news of Jesus being Messiah? And I hope today that the message will be a challenge to us. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us and then get into his word this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you just take a moment and just ask God to, uh, to speak to you today. You can pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to my heart. And then make a commitment, God, what you speak to me about. I'm listening to you and I will make a decision today based on how you speak to me. Lord, thank you, and I pray that you would um, just help us today to get into your word, to have our mind captured by you. I pray, Lord, that we would give attention to you today and that you'd speak to us. We love you, and thank you for your love, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. As you come to uh, the story this morning of Matthew chapter number two, um, we often probably, and I think every one of us could say that we know that quite often the wise men coming to the manger is kind of part of the Christmas story. And a lot of times the, uh, it's given that the wise men showed up at the stable and everything. But I just want to show you from Scripture, uh, I think the wise men came uh, when Jesus was probably maybe a year or two years old. And I want to show you why I believe that. Just a little quick kind of Bible study, and then we'll get in the message. If you go to verse number nine, you'll notice that Jesus is called a young child. He's not called the babe. All right, when you you go to Luke chapter 2, when the shepherds found him in the manger, it says they found the babe wrapped in the manger, that they are wrapped in, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. They found Jesus as a babe. Well, the, the wise men, they find him as a young child. If you go to verse number 11, the Bible says that the wise men came into the house and saw the young child. Okay, in Luke 2, it says they came to the stable. It says that they came and found the child in a manger, and it helps us understand that that was taking place there in the stable. And so there's some differences. When you look at verse number 
uh, um, 11 as well, it says that they found Mary and Joseph and the babe, or excuse me, uh, Luke chapter 2 says they found Mary and Joseph and the babe in a manger, whereas verse uh, 11 in our passage says that they just found Mary and the child, the young child. So Joseph might have been working. He might have been gone. Uh, you can go down to verse 7, and verse 16 through 18 would indicate to us that the wise men, they saw the star probably about two years earlier. Herod would go and he would kill off all the babies that were two years old and under, I believe, because in verse number seven, it says that he inquired of them when they saw the star. Well, we saw it two years ago. And uh, so there's just some different thoughts there of why I believe this would happen probably about a year and a half or two years later. But nonetheless, we're going to couple it in with the Christmas story because it happened, uh, we know it written in Scripture, it happened around the birth of Christ, and that's what we're looking at today. And so when you, co- when you go and you look at this passage, again, we find these different responses by some different people in Scripture. And I want you to see the responses with me. First of all today, I see that Herod, Herod responded and Herod's spirit was that, uh, that he, he was infuriated. All right, Herod was infuriated. He was angered at the birth of the Messiah. <clears throat> when you come to our, our passage, we can know this because of verse 16 down through verse number 18. Skip over, if you would, and look in, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 to 18, where we read these words. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men, then was fulfilled uh, that which was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet, saying in Ramah, there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. So the Bible tells us that the wise men, they come to Herod. They ask him, where is this newborn king? He seeks out to the scribes and the priests. The scribes and the priests, they say, in Bethlehem of Judea. He returns to the wise men and says, hey, you go and you find him. When you find him, come back and tell me where he is. Verse 12, the wise men went home a different way. Verse 16, when Herod saw that the wise men went home a different way, he was infuriated. He was angered. He was wroth. He was mad about the whole situation. And he responded, he responded by going and killing not just the babies in Bethlehem, but it says in all the coasts. So from Bethlehem, I believe in the whole region that, uh, that Herod would go and he would kill off all those children two years old and under. Isn't it interesting? His first initial spoken response in the beginning is, hey, you find him and come tell me because I am going to go and worship him too. But his action was different than his verbal response, wasn't it? Can I just help us understand a very, very quick thought this morning that what is on the inside is always going to make its way out. It's always going to make its way out. You can say one thing, but what's on the inside, it's always going to come out. He said, I want to worship but in fury and in anger, he killed off hundreds of babies. When you think about Herod, just to help us understand the passage, Herod, this would be Herod the Great or uh, Herod the First. And uh, I want, want you to listen to some of the descriptions of Herod. Uh, one man wrote that Herod was a madman who murdered his own family and great many rabbis. Another commentator uh, and historical uh, uh, historian said this, the evil, he was the evil genius 
of the Judean, Judean nation. Another one said this, he was prepared to commit any crime in order to gratify his unbounded ambition. When you go and you study out Herod the Great, uh, Herod the Great, the reason they call him the Great is because he was a very intelligent man. He's a very intelligent man. Herod the Great built some of the uh, uh, places in Israel that are still lasting today. Of course, one that isn't lasting, Herod the Great restored the temple. He brought back and and built a a form of the temple. We know that during his reign. Uh, Herod the Great built a place called Caesarea Maritime. Caesarea Maritime, this is a picture we took uh, in Caesarea Maritime just over a month and a half ago. In Caesarea Maritime, they would have horse races and they would have, uh, it was just a castle and he had this castle just right next to the sea and uh, this right here would have been the main courtyard right right off the Mediterranean and uh, just right there off the ocean and uh, Herod is responsible for building this. Another place that Herod built was a, a, a fortress called Masada, and Masada, uh, infamously known for a, a raid of many years after, after Herod, but Masada still there. These pictures recent. Um, the fortress still there. I mean, I think about four feet of the fortress is still uh, completely intact, and many of the buildings are totally intact uh, there in Masada. He built a place called uh, the, the Fortress Herodium, and we didn't get to go here, but Herodium was just this fort. So when you go and you study out Herod the Great, he's called the Great because of his genius and his architecture, but... Herod the Great, he wasn't a great person. As a matter of fact, uh, he was known as an enemy of the Jews. He considered himself a Jew, but he was not a Jew. He was really known at that time as just a ruthless madman. Some things that Herod the Great did, uh, he got married and then uh, divorced one wife to marry a a teenage girl uh, to help his political ranks. And he had his first wife, he actually had her and his son by her, banished from the kingdom. He had them banished completely. In fact, history tells us that uh, Herod the Great was so paranoid, such a paranoid leader, that he ordered many of his own sons to be strangled for treason, as well as having any family member that he thought could take the throne, he had them executed, including that teenage girl that he married for political reasons. He had her killed. He had her killed off as well. So when you come to our text... It's really, if you know a little bit of history about him, it's of no surprise that you read verse 16. He comes and he knew that if a new king reigns, that means I don't reign. And he responds completely in rage or in fury. And I have this, that Herod opposed and was enraged at the thought of anyone reigning except for him. Herod, he was infuriated by the coming king. He stood against the king. He understood and recognized the the fulfillment that Christ would be Messiah because he said, hey, go find out where he's going to be born. And if you do the research, the the scribes and Pharisees, they come back quoting Micah 5.2, that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judah, of Judea. And so Herod knew that this was supposed to be the Messiah, and yet we find him infuriated. He was too proud of himself, and he was concerned that this new king might take his place. You know what? When we look at the response of Herod toward Jesus, that response of standing against the king, that response of being infuriated by the king, 
we could probably step back and realize that we can see this same response in our day and age. There are people who are infuriated when you hear the name Jesus. Okay, now stay with me because we're going to talk about those people, but we're also going to connect it to Christians as well because here's the thought that there's a lot of people out there, I mean, especially now, right? We're, and I praise the Lord. You may not agree with everything our president does, but I do praise the Lord for his stand for biblical Christianity lately, and I appreciate him instituting uh, Merry Christmas. I appreciate that. Why? Because that's who we're celebrating. But there's many people, and right now you can look it up in, uh, in uh, Nebraska. There's a, a city there that they have, a, they have a cross that they put up at this time of year, and I believe even a nativity scene. And uh, uh, these Freedom From Religion groups and ACLU and all these people that fight everything that our Constitution's written for, uh, they'll come out and they'll say, hey, you take this down or we're going to sue, you, sue your city. And praise the Lord, the mayor said, sue us. You're not going to win. We're going to keep this up and celebrate Christmas and stood up to him. However, all across our country, we don't see that happening. We see people like uh, um, one uh, uh, Catholic church that I heard about that had a nativity scene out that they've been putting out for decades and someone complained about it and they said, oh, we'll take it down. Oh, we'll take it down. And that's happening all over our country. Oh, we don't want to, we don't want to offend. We don't want to offend. Can I just tell you this? Freedom, from, freedom of religion, freedom of religion, that protects Christianity and Islam and Mormonism and Jehovah. It's freedom of religion. But here's the thing. You can bring up the name Allah. You could say, praise Allah, all you want. You could bring up the name Joseph Smith and celebrate Joseph Smith. You can celebrate uh, 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 Gandhi. Well, he's being actually called a racist now if you read the news this last week. Uh, but you can, you can go and you can celebrate all of these different characters from history. But the minute you mention Jesus, man, people become enraged. You know what that is? That's the same response Herod gave. And here's why. People don't want to relinquish control. Here's the simple fact. If Jesus is real, that means you need him. And I can't admit that I need him because that would admit that I ultimately am not in control. And I'll tell you this. The greatest decision a person could ever make is admit they need him. <laughs> Why? Because I would much rather the designer of life be in control than the liver of this life. I, don't, I can't control it. Man, I want him to be in control. We see that response. We see the response of fury and that infuriated response, that vengeance, that anger. We see that in who we would call maybe a, a, a godless culture. We see that. But can I tell you right now that oftentimes that fury may not have come across with murder and vengeance like it did with Herod, but oftentimes that fury is in the heart of Christians as well. Here's why. Because we can often stand against or oppose Messiah's leadership in one area of our life. See, Herod stood against him by killing off the babies. But you and I, we can stand against him by saying, no, God, you can't have that area. And this 
indignant, infuriated response becomes ours because God says, hey, I, I want to work with you in this area. And we say, no, you can't be on the throne there. No, I'm, I'm in control of that area. No, no, God, you don't understand that. That's, that's my spot. And we, like Herod, respond with that infuri in, infuriation, with that fury, with that anger, because of the pride in our own life. He was responding because he wanted to stay on the throne. And often we don't relinquish control in an area of our life because we want to stay on the, th on the throne. Can I encourage you during this holiday season? Man, don't have, don't have the kingship mentality. Don't be the king of your own life. And give it over to him. God, any area you want, I give it to you. If it's my speech, I give it to you. If it's my thoughts, I give it to you. If it's my habits, I give it to you. God, just in any area, it's all yours. I see the first response was that of King Herod. Herod, uh, he was infuriated about the coming king. The second response I see in the scribes and the priests, and I see that is the response of indifference. They were indifferent. I want you to notice what, what took place. If you go to the verses, and we won't take time to read them. Take a drink here. We won't take time to read them this morning, but the, uh, the priests, <coughs> Herod comes to them and he goes to these scribes and priests and he asks them, hey, uh, where should this, this baby be born? Well, we, we don't, again, we can't dig into all of it, but they knew, they knew it was the, the Christ, the Messiah. That's what, uh, if you look at chapter, verse number four, it says when they had uh, gathered, when he had gathered all the chiefs, the chief priests and scribes and people together demanded of them where Christ should be born. So they knew that this coming king wasn't just a person. It was, it was the actual Messiah. And if you think about it, these religious leaders, they uh, should have been, this should have been those who knew the most about the coming Messiah. I mean, uh, this was their life. The priests, religion was all that they uh, studied out. And, and they would be those Pharisees and different folks that you read about Jesus finding uh, later on in his life. The scribes, these would be those that would be uh, completely in tune with Scripture. They were to be the ones who knew the law and they would translate and they would write out the law. Their job every day was writing out the law each and every day and, and getting that to the priest so they could study and get it to the people. I mean, this right here is the religious elite. That's who these people are. So you think if anybody would have known and been desirous of the coming Messiah, it would have been these folks. It would have been these religious leaders. But let me just tell you this, that oftentimes the religious are not too excited about the Messiah because just like Herod's pride of not letting God reign in his life, the religious don't want someone to reign in their life. Let me show you their indifference this morning. If you go... Uh, to verse four down through verse number six, it tells that they found, they looked in scripture, Micah chapter five and verse number two is what they quote. And they say, oh, he's gonna be born in Bethlehem of Judah, Bethlehem of Judea. If, if they knew that, here's my follow-up question. Why doesn't it say that they went? They knew it. Why doesn't it say they went? If you go and, do some uh, research. I found this quote. I love it. These religious leaders knew the scriptures and pointed others to the Savior, but they would not go worship him themselves. They quoted Micah 5 too, but did not obey it. They were five miles from the very Son of God, and yet they did not go see him. 
Man, upon hearing about the coming Messiah, you know how they responded? And here's their response. Oh, well. That's their response. Uh, guys, I want you to tell me, where is the Christ going to be born? We'll get it, sir. We'll do the research. Come back. In Bethlehem of Judea. Can we go to lunch? I've clocked in. Can I clock out? I did my eight hours. They're indifferent. They, they just have this we don't care spirit. They're there. They know he's going to be born. They know he's the leader. They know he's Messiah. Others go and worship him, and they even tell them where to go. Hey, you can find him at. But they themselves, they're indifferent. Apparently, from the text, the, uh, the coming king, the coming Messiah, it was unimportant to them. And these religious, we find them as indifferent. You see, they had their priorities all messed up. They were trying, and listen and don't miss it, they were trying to fulfill duty rather than seek the Savior. This type of attitude can often be driven by selfishness. Let me help us this morning. Do you know why religion draws people in, here's the thought. Religion says checklist. Religion says do this, don't do this, say these things, don't say these things, go these places, don't go. Religion gives us rules to live by. And everybody, regardless of your organizational mindset, everybody operates better under rules. Everyone does. Naturally, we are drawn to when there are rules, it gives me a checklist, and if I can check it off, I feel better about myself. I accomplished, check, I accomplished that. I feel better. That's why religion draws so many people. That's why churches that celebrate, do this, don't do that, be here, don't be here, and that celebrate those things, that's why a lot of, oftentimes those churches and cults thrive because people are drawn to checklist religion. But can I just tell you this morning that Jesus is not interested in your checklists? He's interested in your heart. Religion says do, don't. Jesus says, follow me. Just follow me. Let me live in you and you live out what I help you with. That's why a lot of people get scared from Bible Christianity because Bible Christianity doesn't say, well, I do this because I'm supposed to. 
Bible Christianity, biblical Christianity says, I do that just because I love him. Hey, why'd you go to church this weekend? Just because I love the Lord. Why do you read your Bible in the morning? It's because I love him. Why do you work at being a good husband, a good wife? It's because I love him. Why do you obey? It's, that's because I love him. It's not because I'm expected to. It's because I love him. And letting our motive be that of love. But you know what happens? Religion can often cause us to be indifferent to experiencing the Messiah. Because the Messiah says, I'm not giving you a checklist. You don't feel good about yourself checking things off. You feel good about yourself just because you come to me. And I help you. Not, not, I help you understand, hey, you're loved by me. You don't need to worry about checklists. You come to me. You know what happens is often we become indifferent to the Messiah in our life because of our checklist, because of our religion. And can I just tell you that there are so many people out there, so many believers, that they go through day in, day out. They don't experience real relationship because of that spirit of indifference. I see this morning that Herod, he responded with fury. He was infuriated. The, the scribes and the priests, they responded with that spirit of indifference. It was unimportant to them. But I want you to see the last response and the response that I think we should have, and that is the response of the wise men, that they were involved in what's called intentional worship. They were involved in intentional worship. Man, if you come to the passage, when you look at it, we find that the wise men, they, they intentionally sought out Jesus. They uh, came and they responded with a mindset that wanted to come after and find Jesus. And what a, what a great response. They were interested in who the Messiah was, and they desired to be near him and to worship him. And what a great response and a response that we should have. And I want you to see in their response this morning, not only did they want to be near the Lord, uh, want to meet him, but they also wanted to go and worship him. Some thoughts about their worship today, and we'll cover it very quickly. I see, first of all, that they were eager to worship. They were eager to worship. If you look at verse one and verse number two, it tells us that they traveled uh, far in. And then uh, verse number two says that they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we are come to worship him. Hey, we are eager to worship him. We have gone through uh, some great expense. We'll see that to worship him. And their spirit was not, hey, uh, where's this guy at? Their spirit was, hey, where's the king? We have intention to worship him. They were eager to worship. I see secondly, and I just said it, they went through a great expense to worship. Man, they traveled from the east. They came, uh, many people believe, from hundreds of miles away. They gave money. They, they gave of their time. They uh, kind of went in the hole, if you will, to go on this trip. We know in verse 11 and verse 12, they brought unto him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And because of the gifts, many people think that there were only three wise men. I would probably lean to the fact that there were a lot more because verse number uh, three and four tells us that all of Jerusalem was troubled at the saying or troubled at the caravan of people and the thought coming in. And so here's this group of people coming in and they're saying, hey, where's the Messiah? We've come to worship him from far away and we have something for him. They went through a great expense to worship him. But then I noticed thirdly also, they were also equipped to worship him. They didn't come empty handed. They came prepared. They didn't have the mindset of, hey, we'll buy something on the way. They came and we have gifts to offer him, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. 
Those three thoughts helped me understand that this was intentional worship. They wanted to seek the king, they wanted to meet the king, and then they wanted to worship the king. The word worship, it means to ascribe worth to. And you know, in your life and in my life, each and every day, we ascribe worth to something. Every day of your life, you worship something. And can I just encourage you that if you know who the king is, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you and I should wake up with the desire of God, I want to ascribe worth to you. I want to worship you. Now, when we think of the word worship, we think of maybe a church service, a worship service. That's what our Sunday morning service is called, a worship service. But can I tell you that you can be engaged in worship Tuesday afternoon at work because worship is something that flows from the heart and shows in the action. Worship says, I want to use my words to point to Jesus, ascribe worth to him. I want to use my actions to point to Jesus and show others him. I want everything in my life to ascribe worth to him. One man said it this way, those who truly desire to know Christ and find him will not regard pains or perils in seeking after him. So I'm going to ascribe worth to him by seeking him first thing in the morning. Each and every day, your life shows who or what is important to you. We ascribe worth to uh, uh, things in our life, and sometimes we ascribe worth to people in our life. Some, they ascribe worth to their job. It becomes the most important thing. They ascribe worth to their family or to themselves or to to a hobby or, or to a sport. And while those things are fine and have their place, I do not want those things to be that which should control me and that which gets most of my attention or all of my thought through the day. No, I want to ascribe worth to him by showing him that he means something to me. It was the psalmist who said in Psalm 29, verse number two, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You know what? The, the believer that is doing this, the believer that is worshiping intentionally or has intentional worship, they're going to be eager to meet with the Lord in the morning. Intentional worship says, I'm eager to seek him and to come before him. You know what? They're going to go through an expense to worship him. In our, in our days, this means that I'm willing to sacrifice some things to worship the Lord. I'm willing to, to sacrifice that extra few minutes of sleep to worship him. I'm willing to sacrifice some time during my lunch hour to pray and talk with the Lord. I'm willing to sacrifice what people think about me at work because I'm going to have a good testimony and I'm, I'm going to love the Lord and let people know that I love the Lord. I'm going to be willing to sacrifice what people think about me because I'm going to be willing to speak to people about him. It means that I'm going to be willing not only to be eager and to go through a, a great expense, but I'm going to also be prepared. I'm going to be equipped to worship him. It means that through the day, I'm going to be looking and thinking, God, how can I glorify your name today? God, how can I bring attention to you today? God, what would you like me to say in this conversation? And having that mindset of surrender, that's what this idea of being equipped is. Just like Mary a few weeks ago, Lord, I desire for you to use any area of my life. And we just need to know and see this morning that worship, it must happen intentionally. It does not 
just take place. You don't just happen to look back at the day and go, oh, I guess I glorified God today. You look back at a day and say, you know, I glorified him today because in the morning I sought him. Today I sacrificed for him. Today I understood that I could give something back to him and I was equipped to do that. And in your life and my life, our response to him being the Messiah should not be that of being infuriated, angered that someone would ask to be king of my life. It should not be that of indifference, not caring that there's a king that wants to rule in my life or have a relationship in my life. No, I should respond with intentional worship, having the mindset of, God, today, how can I glorify you? I see one more very quick thought about these wise men and the worship. We see that they were eager to worship. They went through expense to worship, and they were equipped to worship. But I want you to notice verse number 12. I believe that they were encouraged through worship. This is a really cool thought, and I don't have time to belabor the point. But if you were to go through the story, verse 1 through verse 11, the wise men, they followed a star to where Jesus was. For the very first time with the wise men, something takes place in verse number 12. Here's what verse 12 says. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. They sought him. They worshiped him. And then God spoke to them. Now they're not following a star. Now they're hearing his voice. Can I just help you understand, James says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Sometimes one of the biggest hindrances in you and I hearing the voice of God is us. Now listen, God doesn't speak through dreams and visions. We understand that he speaks through his word and through his Holy Spirit in your life and my life. But can I just help you understand that when you and I, when we seek him, and when we, Troy, when we take time to worship him, God says, I see that. You drew nigh to me. I'll draw nigh to you. I will speak to you. And that encouragement comes. What a blessing to these wise men. Now they're not having to look for a star. Now they're experiencing God's voice. I just want, want you to think about this this morning. Their response led to a great blessing. They responded with intentional worship, and through that worship, they were encouraged and able to hear and experience God in a closer way. You know what happens in your life and my life when we worship him? I believe God responds by helping you and I experience him in a greater way. Boy, isn't it wonderful? And we've been in services when the music happens. Maybe this happened to you. I know it's happened to me, but the music's going on and maybe Brother Micah's leading and it's almost like everybody else disappears in the auditorium and you're the only one and, and you feel just like, man, I feel like I'm getting closer to the Lord just right now. And then it's almost like we could, Pastor, you don't even have to preach today. We could have the invitation and I, I'm, I'm gonna respond because I feel like God's spoken to me. Well, why did that happen? Because the worship drew me closer to him and me being drawn closer to him helped him encourage and speak to me. If that's the case, then why don't we wanna respond with intentional worship? And why don't we respond this way? I think this morning that if you're here and you know Christ as your savior, you know him as the Messiah, then I wanna ask you this week, will you respond with intentional worship? 
Will you respond with a heart that says, I want to ascribe worth to my Savior today. Lord, I don't want to spend today looking at myself. I give you every part of me, and I want to worship you. You see, worship, it affects my heart, and my heart is reflected in my life's actions. Herod responded with fury. Those scholars, the the religious, they responded with indifference. But may you and I respond with intentional worship. This morning, if you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, will you make the decision? I want to respond this week with intentional worship. God, I want to ascribe worth to you. But maybe you're here this morning and you can't really ascribe worth to the Lord this week because you don't know him. So I want to ask you this question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you received him into your life? Have you put your faith and trust in him and him alone? If you're here this morning, you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. You've never trusted him for salvation Maybe you've put your faith in baptism or in a church or in good works, but you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life and be your savior. Can I tell you this morning that he wants to be king of your life? Don't respond with fury. Don't respond with indifference. Respond by receiving. I like every head bowed and every eye closed today. And as we come to our time of invitation, God's spoken to us this morning and If the Lord has spoken to you today, we're just gonna have this moment of replying back to him through prayer. I just wanna ask a couple of questions and then we'll respond to him. If if you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. I've received Jesus as my savior. I know it. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor Dennis, I know that. No, I've received him. Just right up and right back down. If that's you today, would you make the decision that this week you're gonna be responding to him being Messiah with intentional worship? God, help me to be eager to spend time with you. Help me to make the sacrifices you asked me to make. Would you make that decision today? But if you're here this morning and you'd be honest, Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I do not know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. I'm not gonna embarrass you or call you by name, but I would like to pray for you. Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I'm gonna pray, and if that's you today, I wanna encourage you to respond to the Lord this morning by asking him to be your savior. Coming up here, we'll take a Bible and allow someone to show you how you can know you're going to heaven. God, I pray that you'd bless our invitation, that you'd help us to respond to you. And Lord, that you would help us to uh, today make the decision that we're going to intentionally worship you, that every day we're gonna wake up, wanna glorify your name and seek you. And Father, I pray for those in here that don't know that they're going to heaven, that you'd help them to come today and receive you as their savior. Bless our time now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.